Right now on how to build a podcast for your brand, we're about to learn about broadcast quality with some great tips and insights from the former boss of News Talk, a multi-award winning radio presenter and a full-on studio engineer. Let's go. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. We're going to talk about house prices. House prices in Ireland in particular. The Two Johnnies podcast, bringing you all the mayhem and news from the world of the Two Johnnies. Open the pod bay doors, pal. This is Business Wars. The EY Podcast CEO Outlook Series. Pod this one. is the Tommy's Tiernan's Tommy's choice. idea. We just go for it. Brace yourself. Go ahead, absolutely go ahead. It's showtime. A cracker of a show for you today because the question came up, what is a broadcast quality podcast? See, initially it was all about audio quality and getting your levels right, making sure the message is getting across. But as we talk to more and more people, we realised it's about way more than audio quality, which is why we want to do a podcast so that we can learn more and get some help with these things and talk about getting help with these things from the best of the best in the business. Later on, I'm going to be connecting up with New York City, where we're going to talk to Dara Quilty. Dara is one of the top presenters on commercial radio in Dublin. And after winning the Radio Presenter of the Year three years in a row, he quit. He needed a new challenge. Off to New York he went. Uh, over there he met an Irish uh, record producer who's doing extremely well on everything from Hermitage Green. Uh, he's getting to American uh, hard rock bands like Slipknot and stuff like that. Uh, he knows everything there is to know about the technical end of audio and we'll be having a quick chat with him. Hopefully we won't get too geeky on you. But let me start off with Garrett Hart, who was for many years the editor-in-chief at News Talk. He has coached and mentored many radio producers and presenters and very successfully too, as the station won Station of the Year Award six times while he was there. Garrett is now sharing his skills with heartmedia.ie, where in addition to media training, Garrett is very skilled at public affairs, reputation management and strategic communications. He joins me now. Garrett, how are you? All good, Dusty. I suppose... My first question to you is, well, I'm thinking of podcasts and radio and they're kind of the same thing in my head. What is radio to you? Radio to, to me is uh, quite simple. It's about content, content, content. Uh, it's very much uh, something that uh, can be overthought at times, but is nothing more than a well-structured, well-thought-through, intimate conversation between two people. That's, that, that's, that's the best summation, I think. I, now I know why you won six radio awards for Station of the Year. <laughs> what yeah. about the preparation for a programme? Because you have trained many producers over the years. So the producer is the person who is putting the programme together. What, what are the main pieces of advice that you give them? I suppose preparation is key to most things in life, Dusty, but it's certainly uh, key to any great radio show, understanding how to design a running order that keeps the listener interested. You know, there's that great uh, quote by uh, Benjamin Franklin who said, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. I think Roy Keane's used it a few times in his, his, his managerial career. And really, I'm amazed at how many times I tune into a radio station and whether it be music-led or talk-led radio station and actually hear the presenter talking without any clear prep 
making general statements, no context, and basically waffling to full time. Uh, and really, you know, before you open that mic fader as a presenter, you should be very clear about what you want to say, uh, very clear how you're going to say it, uh, have a start, middle, and end, and ensure that that intimate conversation is interesting but also entertaining because at the end of the day uh, whether you're a news broadcaster a current affairs broadcaster or a music broadcaster you're uh, working in the entertainment business so you need to entertain your audience so when you're doing that preparation how detailed do you think you should get well certainly from my time the running order uh is your uh i suppose tactics uh as you you go through your hour or two hour show, so preparing your your running order is crucial uh, uh, in terms of detail. The, the 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 presenters that I would have worked with over the years, uh, by and large, came from different walks of life, so their skill set was very much in the space of being great storytellers, um, and they were able to bring that storytelling. Uh, ability uh, to most interviews, to most conversations. So having the structure of a running order for me was to ensure you had momentum across the program. So starting strong was really important to me, uh, almost like a, going to a gig uh, or going to a stand-up comedian uh, show. You know, if, if the stand-up comedian doesn't get you in the first 15 minutes, you know, you've lost them, uh, you've lost the audience. So for me, starting strong was very important. Uh, in and out of ad breaks, never, never wasting an opportunity to hook uh, listeners through ad breaks. Uh, and again, you know, I, I am always uh, amazed at the amount of times that a presenter will say, "And stay tuned, uh, we'll be back after this." Uh, <laughs> yeah, for what? Do, do, you, do you know what annoys me about that? It's like, well, where are you going? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like yeah, they're going to the toilet. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so, uh, so those things uh, uh, in terms of, of detail and a running order were important. But by and large, I, I would have uh, been very um, much of the view that, that it was a very, it was a living program, a live program. Uh, anything could happen. And that spontaneity had to be in the, the program. And, and as um, text messages and social media has become more interactive. Uh, the listener plays a huge part now in any radio production. So do you think if you've gone to all of the trouble of, of creating this running order and you know exactly what you're going to do and when and you have a beginning, a middle and an end, uh, and then things kind of take a slight turn, maybe something different has, has happened to it according to what one of your guests have said, or maybe there's a reaction from people who are in the studio or the listeners. Should you run with that or should you just stick rigidly with the running order? No, run. Uh, I, I, I was always of the view that uh, the time slots were there as a guide. Uh, but if you had an opportunity where an interview was allowing the person to, to start to open up or if there was a very emotional interview or, or, or a, a political interview where the, the politician or spokesperson was starting to get on ice. And the job of the producer is to be the third ear of the presenter to say, keep going with this and to uh, ensure again that uh, the delivery of the, the final product ensures that you're not 
uh, tied into 10 minutes, 8 minutes, 6 minutes. Uh, and, and many's a time uh, we we wouldn't have been uh, um, uh, going down well with the sales guys, but you know, dropping an ad break to keep going through a, a, a interview uh, would have been um, opportunities where you just had to do something. Mm. Tell me about the presentation side of things, because a lot of people who were not radio presenters, so, um, I'm thinking of Bobby Kerr or uh, George Hook, uh, Ivan Yates, well, Ivan Yates could, could well talk anywhere. But these weren't like trained radio presenters, yet they found themselves behind a microphone. What, what kind of advice were you giving them to enable them to present on radio? Well, first up, the reason we would have identified people like Bobby, George, Ivan, and uh, you can go on and talk about people like Henry McKean, the news talk, uh, the sports guys and off the ball, they were great storytellers. Hmm. Uh, So they could keep you entertained, keep you interested in a conversation. They were quirky. Uh, And also for the the older guys like George and, and... Ivan and Bobby, they, they had uh, lives, they had different, they had stories to tell beyond radio. They were very comfortable in their own skin. The advice that I would have given them really would have been to take risks. Like News Talk for me was all about pushing the boundary, uh, creating a, a conversation beyond the headline. Uh, so they had to take risks, calculated risks, uh, not, not risks to put themselves out there to be ridiculed or or to get tripped up, but when you put yourself at risk, you're sometimes going to make mistakes, uh, and you therefore have to be very, very confident uh, that uh, if you do make a mistake, that you're comfortable with that, and you're, you're comfortable to make a mistake, because that endears you to the listener. Uh, you know, that radio phrase, or the, the radio PLUs, the people like us, um, those presenters that you, that you mentioned, are very much people like us that people could relate to. Mm. Well, I always, it's funny, when I got into podcasting first, uh, I, I loved it as a medium because, it's, as you say, there was a running order and you could take risks because if they worked, you left them in the program. And if they didn't, you just took them out, <laughs> which was wonderful. Yeah. But what we were doing was we were taking like almost everything that wasn't good out. So if there were ums or ahs or whatever, we'd take them out or uh, uh, whatever, there were small mistakes or whatever, we'd take them out. And at the end of it, we had absolutely perfect radio program. It was like the radio program that came down from heaven and arrived on earth and it was like it was perfect. And do you know what? It was terrible because it just didn't sound natural, as you say. Yeah. You have now moved on to Heart Media. Now, the website is heartmedia.ie and that's H-A-R-T-E media.ie and I'll have that in the show notes for you. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast right now, it'll be in the application. But I was going to ask you, part of Heart Media is media training. Yeah. So if you have people in and they're kind of getting behind the microphone for the first time, how do you calm them down? I think, you know, there's three things I would say to people who who uh, I train. Uh, uh, number one, be clear about what you're going to say. Uh, lots of people go into radio interviews or, as I said earlier, who, who present radio shows with clearly little uh, knowledge or understanding of what they want to say 
they might have lots of things in their head that they're going to say, but that's different to what you want to say. Uh, know that your audience is one person. It's not 100,000 people. It's not 10,000 people. It's You're having an intimate conversation, and that would have been the advice I would have always given to George Hook or Ivan or Bobby. There's an, you're talking to another person in the room, uh, so you've got to address them as you would if they were sitting beside you. And the third point is, what impact, what's the impact play? So what are they, what, what's the piece or the, the fact or the, the emotion that you want them to take away from what you said? Otherwise, um, if it's not added value for them, they're not going to be uh, you know, left feeling uh, happy, if they're not going to be more informed on an issue or you know, that uh, you're going to crack a, a, a smile on their face, then you've got to understand what that impact is. Uh, and, and I suppose the final thing, people get uh, a little stage fright um, about sitting in front of a mic. And, and really, once you strip away the surroundings, the red light, the, you know, the studio surroundings, you are having a one-on-one -on -one intimate conversation with someone else. Very much just as we are now. Let me ask yes. you, you one last question, and that is, I mean, the title of this podcast is all about broadcast quality. What is broadcast quality in your head? Broadcast quality in my head uh, is ensuring that uh, the uh, listener uh, is receiving uh, the, the information in a form that from an audio point of view, uh, does not have any distraction, distortion, uh, and that the information is delivered in a uh, medium and a form that is easy for me to to digest. Uh, so again, there's there's um, lots of presenters who we could name who feel that their job is to let us know how intelligent they are or or how. Uh, intel more intelligent they are than the interviewee uh, when in fact the role is very much as a facilitator so you know quality in radio is very much the sound uh, but also the uh, manner in which the presenter can be the ringmaster to bring the information in a digestible form Excellent. I'll tell you, the, 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 you've given so much good advice in the last 10 minutes it's, I'm, I'm almost tempted to take out my checkbook <laughs> you still have a checkbook? No, I don't. Oh dear, what a pity. <laughs> Garrett, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for talking to us. Garrett Hart is the main man at Hart Media. It's H A R T E media.ie. If you're interested in reputation management, uh, public affairs, media training, as you can hear, Garrett really knows his stuff. So uh, check him out there at heartmedia.ie. Garrett, thank you. Thank you, Dusty. Good talking to you. Joining me now is Dara Quilty, one of my favourite people in radio. Um, I've known him since way back in the early days, or nights, as you say, back in Spin 1038 when we first met. And I could instantly see that Dara just gets it. He is frustratingly and very annoyingly naturally talented. 
and also very ambitious. Uh, he's gone on to win a dozen radio awards and after winning Music Programme of the Year for a third year running, what did he do? He quit 98FM and is now based in New York City working with American Media and promoting his band uh, Pala. Um, you can find out more about him on DaraQuilty.com later. But right now, hello Dara, how are you? Dusty, thanks so much for the introduction. I'm getting used to accepting compliments um, since I've moved to, to, to New York City. I, I really struggle with the compliments. You know, I recently watched Taylor Swift's documentary on Netflix mm. and noticed every time somebody said, oh my God, you're amazing. <laughs> she just says, thank you for saying that. <laughs> and I really am envious, not of her millions of dollars, but her ability to accept a compliment. Mm-hmm. Why not? Joining you is Aidan Cunningham, who is a recording engineer and a music producer working with artists across the globe for the past 14 years. He's done everything. I just want to play you two quick samples here uh, from Hermitage Green. To something quite the extreme opposite from Baylor. And you can hear a lot more of that on his website, Aiden-Cunningham.com. Aiden, thank you for joining us as well. Not a problem, Dusty. Delighted to be here. So it's we've great. got, Dara is uh, at the presenting end of what makes, you know, kind of a broadcast quality. And Aiden is the uh, the god of audio, as I believe he has tattooed on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe how much attention that gets me. You know? <laughs> so listen, Dara, can I ask you, This you said you're, you're able to take compliments. How's this for a, 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 an opening question for you? What is it that makes you a consistent award winner? Oh, Dusty, you're hanging me out to dry here, baby. Come on. Uh, what makes me good? I have no idea. Um, it does come from an interest in music and technology. I always played music, um, for, you know, rock music. That's how Aiden and I know each other. I was always in bands. I was always interested in the creation of music, which is the creation of audio, which is filling blank space with sounds. And then I vividly remember being trained in on a console in 98 FM when I was 18 years old. And for some reason, Dusty, it's like me on the ice skating rink. I just got it. It just made sense. And um, I think nurturing that technical ability as my career went, went on hmm. did help me excel as opposed to some people who steer away from actually learning about the technical aspect of broadcasting or audio because that's what radio is, man. Do you know what I'd say it is that makes you a consistent award winner? And you've answered the question in spades. One word. Passion. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I could have just said that. (laughs) (laughs) Could have saved us some time there, Barry. You are passionate about music and you're passionate about entertaining people. Okay, radio just happened to be something that you fell into uh, to do this. Um, But because you're passionate about it, you always want to put on a good show. Am I correct? Yeah. And that's what that's what drives you. Uh, And I think anybody who's doing podcasting, um, because there's a lot of people who kind of like you fall into radio or radio is a, a bit of a side thing. There's a lot of people now who have to present podcasts and they kind of go, oh my God, or they're being interviewed on podcasts. And what I always say to them is, hang on a minute, dude, you are talking about something that you are passionate about. You are talking about something that you are an expert about. 
you know what I mean? You know the answers to all of the questions. And even if they're wrong, I won't know that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think passion is very infectious. Mm. Very coincidentally, I got a, a message from Graham O'Toole t- t- today. Mm. Uh, Graham is on Spin 1038. Graham and Nathan, they yep. do the morning on the pressure show. On show. Yeah. yeah, and he, I love those guys. Uh, I mean, they're a couple of years younger than me, but, you know, I see them as my children. And um, we always talk about radio content and they listen to me and they all say, oh, I like this bit of the podcast. That was good. That wasn't good. And I do the same for them. And I love that sort of camaraderie that exists. And Graham said to me, he listened to a podcast I did this week with the lead singer of Huidas famous for the song Teenage Dirtbag. And mm-hmm. throughout this podcast, we broke down Teenage Dirtbag for what it was technically. And Graham said, uh, I loved that. I loved how technical you guys got on the song because you were so passionate about it, even though I don't know what the key of E is. <laughs> and even though I don't know about walking bass lines, you made it interesting. And I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's very coincidental. Graham made the exact same point today. There must be some truth in it. There must be some truth in it. Um, you said that you uh, music is is the thing that drives you. And now uh, when you're in New York, you're hanging out with Aiden. Aiden, you've been a recording engineer for, let's say, a long time. A um, few years, yeah. Yeah, you, you've certainly done a lot. Um, I was going to ask you, Aiden, just about music and, and how it's recorded and how it's mixed and mastered. For those of us who don't, I know I don't do music, um, and I could probably take a stab at the answer, but I want to ask you, because you're an expert, what is the difference between mixing and mastering. How many years do you have? <laughs> great, uh, great question. Uh, the way I, I always like to talk about food, I use food analogies the whole time because I'm a big foodie. So mixing is like making the cake, getting all the ingredients, getting the right ingredients together, blending them together, putting the right care and attention into it. And you make the cake and then mastering is like the final presentation of it. So maybe you put it on a nice little stand or put the right lighting on it or the the, 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 the bow around or the decoration. You know, that's kind of how I break it in my head. What it actually means technically in mixing the song is taking the core multi-track elements of a song. So let's let's say it's your typical rock band, you know, drum kit, bass, guitars, keyboards, vocals, taking all those various um, sound sources, which were either recorded live together or overdubbed at different stages, and you're mixing them together. So the volume, the, the frequency content of them, you're adding effects to them, you're changing the dynamics of them, you're changing the panning of them in the stereo field. So you're just basically taking all the ingredients of a song and mixing them to... There's no such thing as a good sounding mix. It's whatever is, at least in my opinion, it's uh, what's aesthetically right for the project. And then mastering is taking that mix and making sure it translates across all the different formats. So probably 90% of that is the people listening on iTunes and Spotify Mm. now are listening on their phones. So what the mastering engineer will do is getting the mix ready for, for mastering. So that's very subtle EQ changes. So maybe maybe the mix needs to be just brightened up a little bit or there's a little bit too much low end in it or it's a bit loud for vinyl so we need to turn it down a bit or compress it slightly mm-hmm. differently. So mastering is the last, you know, the last 5%, but it uh, can actually make a huge difference to the, to the overall aesthetic of the project. You mentioned in there uh, about the loudness. Now there's a, a certain level or way of measuring, I'm talking about uh, uh, luffs here. Um, maybe you could explain them for me, listening units. What before the streaming age, what what was happening was uh, in digital mastering. It's actually called a, a full scale a volume volume units. So what was happening was people were trying to get the songs louder and louder by limiting them by brick wall limiting them. 
the, the thought being either on this is the CD age or the radio age, you know, before MP3s and before streaming. If my song comes on louder than the next song, people will listen to it. It's going to sound better. So that led to uh, mastering engineers pushing up the mixes hotter and hotter by, by limiting them using a compressor called a limiter. So what happens now in streaming and uh, be it iTunes or Spotify or even on YouTube, they all have a loudness standard where, um, and that's measured in LUFs. So that that's perceived to be not um, based off of like a digital number that a target you're trying to, you're trying to reach, but an overall average volume level of the track. It's not done based off peak uh, mastering. Now maybe I'm getting too nerdy here, but it's, it's, it's done over the overall volume level of the song, not based off one particular instant in the song. That so if you were to loud. look at the level of the song, at some stage it's going to hit its loudest peak and that will be the, the loudest point of the song. Whereas with the luffs, what you're looking at is you're looking for the average volume across the entire song. Correct. And uh, it is important to make sure that your levels are correct because it is very disturbing to a listener if they're listening to two or three podcasts in a row and then yours comes on and it's booming. Or... As I've often heard, it's the opposite where it can't be heard at all because it's yeah. too low. So you just need a consistency of sound. So it's good that there is a standard there as well. Um, and then I also think, you know, when I'm mixing for a podcast, a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're driving in the car or when they're taking a bus uh, or when they're going for a walk or something like that. And they're all quite or can be noisy environments. Oh, well, yeah, you're going to lose, aren't you? I've, you're going to lose uh, sound. I Before yeah. we, we recorded this podcast today, I ran my ear over, uh, I looked at the top 10 podcasts in Ireland to see uh, what the audio quality was like over the content. And um, the top, there's I got, there's probably four, maybe three Irish ones. Mm-hmm. And you'll be, you'll be happy to hear uh, 70% of the top 10 podcasts in Ireland had a, a decent quality audio, but three of them did not, mm. and three of them were produced in Ireland. And you're kind of you're kind of talking about this um, this kind of like hello, hello, well, <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast. How are you getting on? This kind of like <laughs> a different cork, yeah. I know uh, who he's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was it was um, no, this isn't a, the target at the any specific person it's the manner in which they are recording their podcast um which is in a room that's not treated that's fine Mm. um but it wasn't like you're talking about luffs and you know when Aiden talks you know it's he's very particular about the science of it but it's like a perception of loudness so if you're on a podcast and you're excited about the thing and you're like and then I went in and there was tits everywhere I couldn't believe it no you're going to get excited and if you're not excited, you'd be like, I went in and I didn't see any tits. Your level changes. And the problem is, all you need to do is put on a compressor to make the loud part quiet, the quiet part loud. So there's a consistency in what the person is hearing. You want it to be relatively, this is, I can hear this person speaking, mm. but I can also pick up the intonation or tones in their voice. It's such a simple play. But these people are not, they don't know what loves are, what loves are. Sorry. Which I guess they're not supposed to if they're not audio people, but I, you know, if you're in music, you're going to pay Aiden mm. to talk about physics and science. I don't even know. I kind of nod off sometimes when he's mm. talking about stuff. <laughs> but um, I know when he shows me a song he made and go, what do you think of this? Mm. I go, 
And then he shows me what it was before he touched it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. I think the two pieces of music that I play, and actually, do you know, I'm going to play them now here uh, after listening to that, all right? And just to hear, because Hermitage Green is kind of, it's very mellow, all right? And then we go into Baylor, which is kind of the complete opposite. And, uh, and, and it just seems like everything is turned up. It's, it's proper like the, that movie. Everything is turned up to 11. <laughs> but let's, oh, let's tap, yeah. a quick listen to it. And just after hearing how you explained about levels and stuff like that, let's compare the two tunes again. Here's Hermitage Green. And this is the louder Baylor. Now, I, 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 I do radio and, and, and getting the levels right is very important to me. But I am just in awe of you, Aiden, how you can make Hermitage Green sound as loud as Baylor. That's the secret. I'm going to sell it in a book someday <laughs> make millions. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, Dara, just back around to, I mean, that's kind of the sound levels that we're talking about with podcasting. What about um, actually preparing for a show? Now, uh, you're probably the worst person to ask for this because, uh, as I say, you just kind of, you get things and you're able to do things on the fly that would take me weeks to think of. Um, but do, do you prepare things? Do you think about links? Do you think about where it is you're going to end? What kind of tips could you give us? Do uh, like the answer is yes. Everybody prepares for everything. I think. I think thinking. I think thinking is preparation. Uh, I think methods of preparation are different uh, depending on the task at hand. And then in my head, I kind of know how I want the thing to end, or I know where I want it to go, and I will do my best to assist it in going to that place. I think, though, that what you say is that when we go for a link. We know what it is that we want to say and what we're talking about, and we know where it's going to end. Correct. And I think if you just remember that, if you're presenting a podcast or a video or whatever, if you're answering an interview question, you just know what you want to say and you know how it's going to end and you can't go wrong. And you know how you want it to sound. That's another Ah. aspect to me. I think the world is changing a lot, actually, because you, I don't know, Aiden, if, the, if this has changed with music, but things are changing with COVID and people don't want to have to be in certain locations or meet with other people in case they might sneeze or whatever happens uh, um, to be. And things that were possible five or ten years ago, but only a few people would do, now everybody's doing it. Yeah, people are... They're resorting to, and I completely understandably, they're they're resorting to a lot more self-recording themselves. And I see that as both a brilliant thing because let's open up the world to more music. That's great. But it's also, uh, I obviously have a vested interest because I'm quite Mm. into audio, but Mm. you even see at the the recent, there was a world concert with all the top artists and Lady Gaga was singing into her microphone backwards. Yes. Did you and see this, Dusty? Yeah, I did. And I noticed it straight away and I, I just smiled. Can you explain that, Aiden, in layman's terms? So, okay. So there's the microphone she was using. I believe it was a Neumann microphone. I can't remember now. It was a Neumann, yeah. Dusty was using there, yeah. Um, so there's a certain pickup pattern on that microphone. So basically she was singing into the back back of it at the, the, the point where there's most rejection and thus compromising yeah the clear frequency content of it. She was but singing into the concert, wrong end of the microphone, essentially. She's basically talking like, like I'm talking about. 
You know, it's it's a uh, you can hear the difference as I move the mic around there. <laughs> She's the biggest pop star, like. In but that, the world. that whole concert, it just it it reaffirmed my belief in like, oh yeah, the world needs good audio because as soon oh, yeah. as it's taken away, it's like at a if you're at a gig, like a live gig, nobody and if this if the sound is brilliant and the band's on fire and no one's looking around going, oh good job, audio guy, you're doing a great job. But if it's terrible. The sound man's getting some looks from the crowd going, what is your man doing back there? That's terrible. Like It's the same, I think, with broadcasts and podcasts and it's the same with music. If, you know, let's say in a podcast, if the audio is weird or if it's some guy in a shed and it sounds terrible and it's reverberating around, the person, the average listener mightn't go, oh, that sounds a bit strange. There's too much reverb there, but they're just going to be even subconsciously put off by it. They don't, it's like, no, I'm literally enjoy that podcast. It was just... You know, it affected it negatively. Is there a lot of subconscious, like, consumption in terms of, like, audio, film, television? Nobody ever, like, how many people do not know that in on a Netflix show when you're watching it, that most of the dialogue is is replaced? And what I mean yeah. by that is when you're looking on camera and there's a scene or it's uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's Leo and Brad Pitt there and they're beside a helicopter and Brad Pitt's like, we got to get on the chopper. <laughs> if you were, if you took the audio, like here it is. Here's my example. Film a guy talking beside a helicopter on your iPhone. And all you're going to hear is. Yet on a film set, they're mic'd up. You're still going to hear. The wind as well. Yeah. So what they do is they go and they replace it afterwards in a studio. Now, is this where they're looking at their, they're looking at themselves on screen and they literally have to speak over. They'll do multiple takes. Like, yeah. On that point, every single line of dialogue in all the Lord of the Rings movies that you hear is re-recorded. So none of them, like Gandalf standing on the side of a mountain there saying, run fools or whatever it is, that's his voice is coming from a studio after re, uh, re-recorded and edited and lined up so it looks exactly right. But even, every single line. You, but you, you know what you can put in, Dusty, is the clip, my favourite clip is of Liam Neeson from the film Taken and uh, where he's on the phone to the kidnapper. You remember this scene? Let's play it. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. So a lot of people, that was kind of a standout moment of the first Taken movie, which was very good. I don't think they really went anywhere after mm. Taken 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. I mean, God damn it, how many times can a lady be kidnapped? <laughs> but um, the piece at the very start of that, and this was always a thing that impressed me about uh, actors, specifically male actors that are a little bit older, is all of them in all films are, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. <laughs> and they're accessing this really low part of their voice. Hmm. That is impossible to achieve with an, a microphone. And everybody knows what a boom microphone is. The guy that holds the microphone up over the heads of the actors. You see this on, on TV and, and in skits. To pick up, Liam Neeson needs to be inside of a microphone to get that, I will find you. This summer. Yeah, right. So <laughs> I couldn't do that six feet away from a microphone. That's basically. my point. No, yeah, so yeah. Nobody could. Like, yeah. And when any of these action films with these guys, their whole dialogue, it sounds like 
it's all down here. We're going to get out of here. We have 15 minutes before the building explodes. <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, this is so exciting. <laughs> but they have to go and do that in, in, in a studio afterwards. And nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody pays attention to it because the audio engineer, the audio Aiden of the film has done his job. He does not know. You, you're not supposed to notice, I feel. Invisible. It should be invisible, yeah. yeah well, I think, that, yeah, that's, I think that's very true of, of pictures and audio and, and a lot of things. In life, and even home deco. Like if I, if I do some DIY around the house, you absolutely know that I did it. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> if you have a professional in, then nobody sees it. Do you know what I mean? So it's that, uh, it's, it's that kind of a way. Listen, uh, lads, we shall leave it there for now. Thank you so very much for uh, chatting with us. Derek Quilty, you can find out more about him at DerekQuilty.com. Aidan Cunningham, uh, you can hear lots of the kind of music that he produces at aiden-cunningham.com and my thanks also to Garrett Hart uh, earlier he is now at heartmedia.ie if you're interested in finding out more about what he does and the media training in particular that is it for DustPod this time around you find all of the contacts and uh, lots of stuff uh, that we talked about in the show notes which are in the app that you're listening to us at the moment. If you need more, just give me a call. Uh, my number is uh, in Dublin, uh, 960 9099. Okay, until uh, next time, whatever that is from DustPod, thank you very much. Take care. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Cal?